three young women are just staring at her in horror as she's nonsense. And that, I feel, is it's sort of what this whole situation right now reminds That's all I'm really saying. Yeah, um, I've seen that movie. I work at an art house theater here, and that was our worst That was our worst performing movie last year. Like, nobody went into that movie, but I liked it. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's... it's if that's the case, next time I bring up a, uh, an art house movie, you've already just go, ah, moving on. <laughs> and because Kyle started saying, I don't want, I don't think this is nerdy at all, and then went at length into an indie art house movie without realizing how that is in any way nerdy, I guess you're probably listening to the Big Bang Theory theory. <laughs> what? No, you can't put this in the intro of the show. Oh, oh, it's there. We're in the show now, Kyle. Welcome to hell. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And we have a special guest with us, guest with us today. It's it's uh, my friend and co-host of... Well, no, I'm not a co-host with me. A co-host with my friend Charlie of the Final Girl Sleepover. Everyone, welcome Solvay. Woo! Noises! Woo! I'm here. Hi, Solvay. What's the name of Hi. the art house movie theater where you work? Oh, I work at the Roxy Theater in Missoula, Montana. So, Solvay, as you know... You have somehow ended up on a podcast about the television show, The Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. Before we get into the episode itself, I thought it might be helpful if you could just like briefly explain your like familiarity with or feelings on uh, the, the Big Bang Theory. Like how much have you seen? What does it mean to you, if anything? What's what's your what's your story? Sure. So I definitely have seen episodes of the Big Bang Theory. And I think when it first came out, I watched like the complete first season. So I feel pretty good. I knew who all the characters were, at least at this point in the show. Mm -hmm. I thought it was fine when it was on. It wasn't mind-blowing. I think over time I just became annoyed with it because it was like the biggest show. It's all anyone would talk about. But I haven't seen it in years. So you were annoyed because you liked the Big Bang Theory before it was cool. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's true. Now that we've got the the introductions out of the way, I guess we should try to get into the normal format as, of our episode, such as it is, and briefly describe the episode, which, <laughs> uh, of the feedback I've gotten, I think is everyone's least favorite part of the show. And so I'm doing everyone a real public service by trying to make it shorter and shorter every time. Let's see how I do this time. We are on Season 4, Episode 7. It is The Apology Insufficiency. And the episode opens with Leonard talking about how he's not very confident with women. And he tries to play a little confidence character with Raj that he's going to use to ask ladies out on dates. And I can't tell if Raj is actually enamored with him or just kind of fucking with him. But anyway, I wanted the whole rest of the episode to be those two going on a date. And then it didn't happen. But anyway, they're a chit-chatting as they do. And then Wallowitz is like, hey, I'm going to get to work on the super secret government thingy if uh, my FBI background check goes well. Everyone be fucking cool about my FBI background check. And so uh, an FBI agent... Turns out to be a total babe and interviews each of the other nerds to uh, get uh, information about Wallowitz, about whether he's going to get a security clearance. And wouldn't you know it, oh, Raj can't handle babes, so he uh, eats some rum cake so he can talk with her, which really stretches the limits of uh, what Raj's dependency on alcohol to talk with women actually means. Um, and so, yeah, that doesn't go great. 
And then she talks with Leonard, and Leonard's like, oh, man, you caught me at a bad time. This is the moment I was just going to start hitting on women, regardless of whether they seemed into it or not. Ah, and that goes really poorly. He does ask her out, and she does say she's into it, but then she also asks if it's okay if her big, muscly, six-foot-two martial arts boyfriend comes with, and Leonard backs off, which I thought was disappointing, because I think you could interpret that as a threat. I interpret it as an invitation, and I'm also sad that that's not where the episode went that time. And then... Uh, she goes and talks with Sheldon, and Sheldon is very Sheldon about everything. Um, he's, he's standoffish and awkward, uh, which is about what you'd expect, but before the end of the interview, he casually mentions that Wallowitz once, cr- once crashed, it, crashed uh, the Mars rover because he was trying to impress a woman. The FBI agent picks up on this, goes back to her office. Wallowitz doesn't get security clearance. He's real sad and cranky, and then Sheldon is suddenly racked with guilt. He tries to apologize to Wallowitz. He's not having... And so uh, a bunch of other stuff happens that I don't really want to bother getting into right now. And it ends with Sheldon giving Wallowitz uh, the couch cushion where he sits on the couch at their apartment as a symbolic gesture to show what he's willing to give up in terms of something that is incredibly meaningful to him, which was supposed to be a cute, touching thing. But Sheldon, my dude, things that are valuable to you are not necessarily valuable to anyone else. You, I guess if anything, are playing into having no social skills even harder than you ever were. Um, And then Wallowitz is like, okay, I guess you've given me the item of yours that contains the most farts on Earth. So, sure, we're good. And that's mostly the end of it. There's some filler in there, which maybe we'll get into. Sofe, Kyle, any important things about the episode you thought I left out that you would like to to fill in? Uh, The FBI agent in question, just because I thought it was Eliza Dushku. Okay, that's who I thought. I had a note about her because near the end of the episode, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Eliza Dushku. But when I first saw her, I was like, there's no way that is a certain porn star I'm familiar with. I hate that that's immediately where my, my mind went. Sylvia, is there anything that you thought I, I should fill in that we could talk about? And if not, uh, just anything that you think is worth discussing at all about what we viewed today? I guess... I have a few things. I thought, like, the main plot of the whole show was the Penny and Leonard love story. And that's not in this episode at all. No, so funny thing. So, Penny, yeah, she's in this episode for maybe two minutes. In the last episode, she was completely absent, as were any of the other female cast. And so I'm starting to suspect that there has to be some reason they're being um, utilized so little here. And I don't know if these are just 100% filler episodes But, yeah, important characters have just gone missing. Have they already dated? Yeah. And all that? Season one is all a build-up to Leonard trying to ask Penny out, basically, and how awkward that is. Season two is how their relationship immediately falls apart um, and how they're having to learn how to reframe what their friendship means. And from then on, it's been gibberish. Wild. How many seasons does this have? I think 12. Wow. Anyway, I was going to say the only... So first off, Solve, you're right. It is, uh, it is It is. weird how quickly the show abandoned its premise of being Leonard and Penny. But trust me, it, it, it's not like any of those episodes revolving around their romantic tension where ever any see why they sort of jump shit. And also, the only reason I can think why Kaylee Coco would be less episode than some other... I was looking up, she was... Uh, this season four came out in 2011. It wasn't like she made a movie in 2011, except she was 
a voice actor CGI movie called Hop, which Rusto Brand plays the, which sounds god awful. No way. Okay, I'll just have to. I've seen Hop like eight times. <laughs> Solve, defend yourself. <laughs> I watch Hop like every Easter. It's a. How many good Easter movies are there? How many like, Easter movies are there? There's Hop. Well, there's the ones where Jesus Christ comes back from the dead to save not. the sins of mankind. That's not what my Easter is about. My Easter is about bunny rabbits. <laughs> this, this, is this whole episode just going to be me walking into, oh, I've seen that movie. Oh, I love that movie. I watch a lot I'm of not, movies. I'm not going to offer any more opinions about movies. Um, All right, Solvay, you're now a permanent guest on the show. <laughs> anyway, I have no idea. All right. Well, I guess some other things that I really wanted to get into. Um, well, you know, one, I, th- this isn't even plot heavy it's really something very small that just annoyed me and that's that uh neil degrasse tyson shows up in this episode I knew you were gonna fucking do i was just like waiting it's like the second he showed up i'm like well i'm really looking forward to hearing nick shit all over neil degrasse tyson because every time a celebrity cameo happens and it's not like it's someone playing themselves i have to hear why nick doesn't like this person do you want me to not do that kyle would you rather i lay off of ndt no, it's fine. It's it's not actually Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's just that literally, it's like first it was like uh Charlie Sheen, then it was like uh, it was like uh, uh uh Stephen Hawking, then uh uh that guy from Microsoft, Steve Wozniak, yeah, then uh George Takai. It's just like there one of these days someone's going to be on the show playing themselves, and you're gonna be like oh I'm so psyched. I fucking love that, that dude. He makes me so happy. I'm so glad he's putting himself out there, and I'm gonna lose my mind. Well, so here's, Kyle, you, you, you just, you call me out and you're like, oh no, here is the fifth instance at least that I've had to deal with of Nick Hyde hating a celebrity. And here's the thing. I don't think you understand. I don't hate celebrities, uh, parentheses, I do, but I hate obnoxious people <laughs> that have no purpose to be, George Takei comes in and it's not that he, it's not his celebrity status I dislike, it's that he has become such a tired parody of himself, just going around saying, Aren't I campy? Can't you believe that I speak like this while supporting things you also support? I was in a television series before most of you were born that none of you will ever actually see. And he's been doing it for like over a decade. And maybe it was cuter when this came out. I bet back when this show came out, like actually on television, I would have seen George Decay and be like, that funny motherfucker is back. I can't get enough of him. But it's 2020 now, all right? The world is burning. We're all dying of an apparently uncontainable virus. And I don't have to fucking pretend that I'm happy to see Neil deGrasse Tyson come on screen. I thought he brought up an interesting point in the show. Do you think Pluto is a planet or not? Absolutely. Because I think, yeah, Pluto will always be a planet. I think it's an arbitrary astronomical category. They say it's not a planet and they have that the criterion makes sense. This breaks my heart. You don't think there's government money involved? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Here's... Uh, I, I can't use, basically I'm saying whatever, at this time when it is so important to trust the experts, I'll basically go along with anything they tell me, including Pluto being a dwarf. I do understand why this is a sentimental issue for some people, but, you know, to be, not to, not to, uh, not to be too PC about it, but it's just like, you know, the categories were made for man, not man the category, whatever. <laughs> I'm still mad about Neil deGrasse Tyson, I don't... 
I feel like Solvay really tried to defuse the situation by bringing Pluto into it, and that didn't pan out at all. (laughs) I guess to just randomly jump around a little more, another thing that I thought was bizarre, and this isn't going to seem, I think, fair to Penny, but... um, Near the oh, end of the. Okay, sorry, I don't mean that to sort of drag it. I thought the most interesting thing was every other scientific celebrity on the show. Sheldon has gotten really geeky about, but even Sheldon was pissing on Neil deGrasse. So apparently, the show hates Neil deGrasse Tyson as much as you do. But you at least have that in your favor. Okay, now that we're talking about Neil deGrasse Tyson again, and I'm very glad that we are. <laughs> oh, he sucks so much. Like I heard once years ago that maybe he touched a lady or something, and I haven't heard anything about yeah, it since. He's not a good dude. Well, so I don't. I I I don't. I don't feel like I know enough to hate him for that reason. He apparently is a creep. He hasn't been pinned for being a creep. But I hated him so much longer before that because he is the worst fucking least charismatic television personality that's ever existed. And I don't understand why he's so... Like, he seems like a fun science guy because he wears vests with stars and shit on him. And then you get him in front of a camera and he's like, Hello. I'm the man that knows the gal, and it's like, God, you don't belong here. You're not funny, you're not natural, you stick out like a sore thumb in everything you do, I hate you. Okay, I'm done. Well, to be fair, he's, he's the, it's a sliding scale, so you're not comparing him to other, you shouldn't be comparing him to other celebrities, you should be comparing him to other astrophysicists you might grab and put on television. And I would bet you... By like, I bet you by the standards of uh, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson is like fucking Michael Clayton. He's like he's That's... probably he's like the Samuel Jackson of the of the astrophysics community. That, that is seem like a high bar to clear. An absurd limitation to put on how I compare. I'll compare him to whoever the fuck I want because I can guarantee you this: Nick Neil deGrasse Tyson has done. More than one back alley sexual favor to end up on as much television media as he has. He has a cameo in this show. That's fine, whatever. He was like, they were trying to make him a regular guest with some sort of science segment on The Daily Show, and he was so awful that they just nixed him without ever saying a word about it. He got a miniseries, Cosmos, based off the Carl Sagan version, which itself, I don't ever hear anyone else complain about how awful Carl Sagan is, probably because I'd be the only one to do it, but, oh, He's the wor- he's the pits. All right, it's it's not that he's an astrophysicist. Wow. Woo. We're going after Carl Sagan today. Okay. I know I'm holding him up as an example of a person who can be in front of a camera and not be a mutant. Oh, I see. Okay, so you like Carl? <laughs> I don't have any feelings about Carl Sagan. <laughs> he's a You're dude. Right. We should only ever let ast- We should only ever only ever let professional actors talk about. It. No, we should use astrophysics. You should put an astrophysicist in front of the camera and be like, we're going to go, we're going to do two takes, okay? You get a practice take and then you get the real thing. Instead, you like, they must just like bring him in on a dolly, drop him in front of the camera, like put a cookie on his nose and rub his belly and the cookie falls in his mouth and he gets excited because that's when he knows it's camera time. He says the lines that he memorized 20 minutes before he got on the show and then they wheel him back off again. Like, he's not a human. I hate him. And it's not because he's an astrophysicist. It's not because he's not a professional actor. He just sucks. See what I mean, Solve? Like, Nick gets really upset. So, I've never seen him so upset. (laughs) I don't don't know the last time I felt this upset. I didn't mean for all of this to come out. I didn't have this much ready inside of me. But he's... I just can't believe that I'm up against um, so much resistance. And I don't expect anyone else to hate him. 
but I'm, I'm shocked that it's like, you need to give him credit, because not only is he not a professional actor, but he's really not so bad compared to other astrophysicists. I mean, I would agree that he was not great in this episode. I don't think you have to be an actor, but it helps. I think there's a certain tone and pacing, and he was, like, not fitting into what the show had already established was the theme. Yeah. Thank you. Also, I'll was, accept that. So, so much. Of, it was, like, all of, like, almost all of the uh, cameos on the show, it was so entirely out of, they never really come close to explaining why he, other than, obviously, they wanted him on the show at some point, and his schedule was probably free to film. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, okay, so that's the thing, like, Sylvia, I don't know if this came up a whole lot in the first season, or how well you'd recall it, re- regardless, depending on how long ago you watched the show, but... One of Raj's big character traits is that he just cannot talk to women um, at all. He gets too nervous, and the only thing that seems to help him at all is alcohol. And so usually he has to have a couple drinks, and then he loosens up as most people would, and that's the trick, you know, because he's not as anxious anymore. But in this episode, um, Eliza Dushku comes in. He immediately flips out. He reaches for a bottle of wine that's empty, and then so he goes into the fridge and eats some cake, and then he can talk. And it's like, hey, what's this new joke about? What's going on here? And he says, rum cake. So is it purely a psychosomatic thing then? If a bite of rum cake is all it takes for him to enter his his okay speaky zone? You see him down a shot before he eats the rum cake. Do, do we? I thought. I don't recall that at all. No. I thought he like grabbed for the wine and it was empty. Yes, that happens for sure. Oh, I, see. So I think I you're confusing this where Sheldon it. keeps consuming and spitting up his shot over and over again. No, I'm not kidding, but I saw him reach for a bottle of alcohol. There was nothing in it, Kyle. You're probably right. I'm gonna- Oh, no, I am right. <laughs> <laughs> this this fact is not up for debate. <laughs> but, but with, with, okay, so then, well, let's have it either way. Is a shot of wine and rum cake enough to get Raj there? What, why is no, this acceptable? I established before that, yes, it's got to be psycho. <sighs> I just, I also... I was bummed out by this scene because um, something else that comes up in the, the intro is that uh, part of the reason that Raj doesn't want to help out with this background check is uh, because he's not white. <laughs> and he's like, I really I really don't need to get another TSA colonic if it's all the same to you guys. And then um, that is part of the reason he's freaking out when he's with Eliza Dushku. You know, like he's able to loosen up with his rum cake. Um, but then he's still like, oh my god, I swear I love this country, and he starts singing, I can't remember if it was like a, like a bad version of Yankee Doodle or something like that, or, um, My Country Tis of Thee, that's what it was, and he's having what seems like a pretty serious, like, trauma reaction, (laughs) and I don't think that's something that people would have been talking about as much at the time, because we hadn't all lived through Tumblr yet, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, like, I guess it's cute. What do you guys think? Like it's like he's he's just casually talking about how his his civil rights have been routinely abused for years, and he just wants nothing to do with any of it. I think this whole sh- I just think like this whole show is laughing at these characters, not with mm-hmm. these characters. So like they're just desperate for anything to make fun of. <laughs> that seems like a fair theory. What were you What were you saying, Kyle? I was just going to say, uh, it's probably, like, if they were actually willing to follow through on the implications of Rush's, like, stress and not just play it as, like, a, as, like, a, so I'm agreeing with Solve. I also, so I didn't find that joke particularly funny, um, although I found it probably true, so good for them for acknowledging his 
races, I guess. The one they don't is they don't they don't acknowledge that it's not cool for Leonard to just randomly be like I felt bad for Elijah Dusku's character in this episode because she shows up and she's just trying to do her job, but she's yes. stunningly attractive and they just won't like Sheldon in that sense is actually the least horrible to her, if only because he's the only one who is trying to like answer her question honestly, if completely tangentially to what she's trying to find out. Mm-hmm. So I maybe it's maybe it's mostly extra te- textual. I don't know if you know this, but she had she like she famously quit TV for a while because she had such like a hard time on this one show where she was getting sexually harassed. So I'm like, this isn't funny. Just let the nice FBI agent lady do her job. I feel like there is no way I can imagine the Big Bang Theory guys like knowingly making that reference because like considering the way Wallowitz acts and how like women characters haven't really been treated horribly necessarily, but they're they're they're, they're always you know the 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 objects to be hit on and soft sought after for the most part, um, and so I it's I can't imagine this show intentionally wanting to draw awareness to that, but. I am. I'm trying to remember what that timeline is because, like, I feel like, in my mind, it was like after Dollhouse or something like that. She was like, "Yeah, shit was real gross and weird." It was after, so it would have been after. But that just makes it all the more kind of sadly ironic. Yeah. Portrayed on television as someone who was too sexy to confidently do to like for the people in her life to or for like the people she works with, uh, competently and professionally handle their shit around her, and then turns out that's literally what happened to her. I have notes that aren't, like, specific to this episode, but just in general. Uh, go for it. Please. Okay. I was trying to think of, like, the nerds I know and why they feel so disconnected from these people on the show. And I think... So I definitely love pop culture. I grew up watching, like, VH1. I love the 70s and stuff like that. And it seems like all the jokes on these shows are, like, so surface level. Like, I never watched The X-Files, but I, like, knew his joke. And you, I think, you know who uh, Mulder and Scully are. Exactly. And, like, and, mo- like, I had that same thought. Yeah, so I think everything, it's people who know pop culture trying to make nerds. Um, like, the costuming is very bold. And there's several reasons why they did that. But I've never seen a nerd, like, layer patterns like that. Well, actually, so we, y- you have now just voluntarily or uh, unconsciously stepped into the position of being our costuming expert. Because I know you actually know something about this, and I don't think anyone else who's been on the show has. Tell us more about your your thoughts on the costumes, because they're not real nerds. But like, what? How can? What's so obvious about it? Oh well, so all their costuming is very bright, lots of patterns, and especially when you look at like background characters who are all in muted colors, it's definitely just to make these people draw your eye. They're like the focal point. So I think there's not many shows where you can be so playful with your costuming, and I think it was a smart decision for the costume designer to really just take everything and put it on these nerds. Because in the show, they're already kind of um, disconnected from the people around them, and just by their wardrobe alone, that even pushes further that theory. Hmm. If that makes sense. Is that also why they always have multiple layers on? Because, like... Sheldon is, I mean, I have seen people in real life wear, like, a t-shirt over another slightly longer t-shirt, but only when it's freezing out, and these people all live in California, and yet that's, like, how they dress constantly. They yeah, all, that's almost Sheldon's yeah. uniform. They all have, like, at least three layers on. But yeah, I think it's just to make, um, 
just to make them stand out even more. Same with the set. The sets were all really great, and um, they had a lot going on, but I've never seen a nerd's house be, like, so sophisticated. It was more of, like, a sophisticated house, and they're like, we'll put some Batman figurines around. It wasn't, like, built around the love of these um, shows. It wasn't the uh, the mattress directly on the floor surrounded by the various toy robots, so they're all easily within reach as a means of saying just how close his character is to those things he loves. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Surprising lack of anime statuettes, I must say. Not, mm-hmm. not nearly enough. Yeah, you know, I hadn't ever thought about that, Kyle, but now that you bring it up, every single time we go to Wallowitz rooms... He should have, like, big, like, creepy, eepy, porcelain hentai bay busts just on every shelf. Like, that is 100% who he is. The show, um, one thing that has always, like, annoyed me about this show is the cheesecake cheesecake factory. Oh, Kyle and I have brought this up. It looks nothing like a cheesecake factory. Yeah, it was, it's so strange because, like, I I think in the very first episode, uh, Penny does explicitly bring up that she works at the Cheesecake Factory. And I can't, it's either in that episode or the, or the next one, but Kyle and I both, like, right at the beginning of the show, were like, does she not actually work at the Cheesecake Factory? Like, is this, did she get a new job or is this just, like, what the Cheesecake Factory has to look like for this show? Because, yeah, it's just, it's like the yeah, most it- generic claustrophobic cafe that's ever been. Yeah, it's weird that the Cheesecake Factory would let them use the name but not any of their branding. Like, there's not even a, there's not even, like, a sign on the wall anywhere that says Cheesecake Factory. That's the whole show. For this being a huge show, you think they'd have, like, product placements. But, like, the Coke machine just says, like, drinks and yeah. things like that. They're better than that. This show wasn't... Tr- being a show about nerds, it wasn't trying to appeal to mainstream America's corporate branding stylizings. <laughs> But I think it makes it feel fake. Like, if, oh, you watch, if you watch Seinfeld, you're like, yeah, someone lives there. That's what well, my I, place looks like. I will say, when they go to the comic book shop, um, it, the comic book shop looks like a real... It doesn't update. Like, they've had the same posters in the background for, like, the last ten years. But that comic book shop said is is pretty legit. It looks like a real place where, where sad people... <laughs> I have to agree. <laughs> but that's the only one. All right. Well, we're getting close to the point where we should start wrapping up our discussion of the actual episode. But um, I do want to ask if there's anything else that anyone is just itching to bring up before we close this door and start talking about our nerd things. Uh, so I guess it was because we did wonder in the episode where Wallowitz crashed the Mars rover if there was ever going to be fallout from that. And so it was. it's just, again... It's so rare for the show to ever reference its own continuity that I was so surprised. I mean, it was done well, but it was also just like, oh, you remembered? The show remembered something that happened before? I was a little shocked by that, but then I just, you know, sat back and rested easy knowing that uh, I should expect things like that to happen because this show is so well written. I was going to say, they, they've just been, they've been setting up their traps for years and we're falling into them. That's, that's what's happening. I think you basically said this at the beginning, but um, it is a little... For an episode that had such a great premise, it really wasn't funny at all. Uh, no! Which is... which Because you're right, the gang gets investigated by the FBI is actually a pretty funny premise for an episode, and it's just they could not do it that was amusing in the slightest. 
Yeah, and you know, I really didn't think about it as I was watching it, but um, something that I have noticed and felt great shame um, in is that the last couple episodes, I have out loud laughed a few times. Like, I remember, like, one episode, I was, you know, just going through my notes as I normally do, and I was like, shit, that's like the third time this episode where I've I have laughed. I need to start keeping track of this. Th- there's no need for that on this one. Like, and it wasn't like an oppressively obnoxious episode or anything. Is this is this dull? I guess. Uh, Solvay, agree, disagree. How do you feel? As someone who watches a lot of sitcoms, I think this one will be lost in time. Like it was the biggest show. I don't know if it still is, but at the time it was. But I don't think it adds enough new. It doesn't add anything new to comedy or sitcom or TV. So I think over time, like, I don't think in 20 years anyone's going to be talking about this show. (laughs) Yeah, I think in 20 years it'll be largely incomprehensible, especially to, like, young people who don't get the nerd culture references of the the early 2000s. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right, like, eventually that Mulder Scully joke is only, what if it's, wor- like, what if the show, like, what if people don't realize how bad these references are because they've become so obscure by the year, like, 2050? Anybody who understands anything that these characters say immediately, maybe it's going to, maybe it's oh. set itself up to withstand the test of time. You are f- um, forecasting the rise of a subclass of hipsters several, genera- several generations down the line that impress their insecure peers with knowledge of old-timey media that no one gives a shit about. <laughs> like, Basically, the, the people in Ready Player One only for, like, the early, two th- early to mid-2000 era. Ugh, ugh. Which, oh, man. I, I know, like, I, I won't get into it, all right? I already <laughs> spent a lot of time. I hate Ready Player One. I bet Neil deGrasse Tyson wrote the script for that piece of shit movie. I never saw the movie. It's a terrible movie. I read the book. It was a gift from a friend, and I felt obligated to read the whole thing. And boy, like, sometimes you ever read something and you're like, like, have I always hated reading? Is this just what this experience is like? It's, it's, it's just garbage and i'm gonna leave it there because you know we only have enough emotional energy for one completely needless rant per episode maybe no two is fair but i i I don't know that either of you aren't going to still do that so let's call that the end of the actual episode this is where in the early days we would plug our various social media that we completely stopped keeping up with (laughs) and then transition into our nerd thing of the week i guess solvay I, i was gonna say uh, you should go first as the guest, but instead I'm going to say as the as the guest, you get choice as to where you want to go in the line. You want to be one, two, or three, baby. I want to go last. Okay. Kyle, are you ready or should I go? Yeah, I'll go ahead and go. All right. Um, I will talk about, um, I, uh, I was watching a trailer. Sorry, I, this is, my brain is warming up to what I'm trying to talk about. Uh, I was watching a trailer for a new TV show that's coming out called Utopia, which is apparently itself a reboot of a British show that came out a couple years ago that I never saw. Um, but it's about a bunch of like, uh, basically, it's about a bunch of nerdy people who discover that like the comic book that they all are reading like contains maybe tips to some criminal conspiracy to like kill the planet with a bioweapon with a bio plague. Um, which is kind of apparently the original British show was pretty 
good but canceled. This new show looks like it could be in or could be terrible. Uh, what was weird is as I was listening to the plot, I was like, wait a minute. This is 20th Century Boys. I read this manga. Um, it's it's prob- That's probably unfair of me. Like, it's entirely possible that two different people um, could have similar ideas and just never, uh, never have encountered each other. But it is, um, I would highly recommend recommend if you can you can find it at your local bookstore there's a great manga it's called 20th century boys it's uh by naoki urasawa who's like one of the most critically acclaimed most award-winning japanese manga authors and artists of all time uh, he did monster and um pluto and a couple other really famous ones and my favorite is 20th century boys which is it's it has a structure similar like to a stephen king novel and that it like jumps back and forth a lot between the present and like this idyllic past of these kids when they were all riding around on bikes i think the 60s whenever the song 20th century boys by t-rex was super popular okay um, and so but it is set in japan but basically when there are kids they're hanging out and hiding from some like making a clubhouse and one day they come up with like this this like amateur story that they because they're all reading too many comic books and they come up with like this fake storyline that they're all playing around with where like a mad scientist takes over the world and like kills a bunch of people and then like conquers the planet and they but they stop him at the last minute and then when they're adults things that they had written in this like this amateur comic book when they were kids start to happen like on a large scale um, around the country and then later around the planet so they have to figure out what the fuck is going on with that and it's uh it's it's really good it's one of the best thrillers i've ever read it's sort of and the tie the way it like introduces all these characters and you follow them through like years of their lives the book has several time skips from like the early part is like in 20 a slightly dystopian 30 and it's highly recommend and available in english cool obviously i don't um, in case you thought i had somehow read it in the original japanese i just mean it's popular enough that at least until fairly we could find it or definitely you want to uh, drop that title one more time for people yeah 20th century boys by uh naomi urasawa oh also uh this will i'll keep this short but i realized last time i recommended i was just like yeah go read some of the new transformers comics whatever it's fine i don't know how you're supposed to find them they're all a couple years old i did look it up basically idw has collected the whole run into these like giant mechs that are defined up so if you don't know where to start you could just grab one of those cool all right i guess my turn then and i'm going to give two half recommendations half because both because i've only experienced it a limit amount of each of them in half because for now they are half-hearted recommendations which i'll explain a little bit about so the first thing is uh a game that i think originally came out on the wii and then was more recently re-released on the nintendo switch and that is xenoblade chronicles um and this is either, either like the definitive version or the hd version or whatever you know you want to call it regardless it's, it's xenoblade chronicles and i could talk about all the little changes they made to the original game but I'm not going to do that because I never played the original game and they're meaningless to me. But I hear there's a whole bunch of them. So if you already played it, I guess there's a bunch of quality, quality life improvements, whatever. I don't care. What I do like about the game is um, it's it's a JRPG, but it's it's uh, it's not really an action RPG. But, you know, you you're, you do all of your actions in a big, explorable, 3D, semi-seamless world. You know, you're not just like hanging out in little towns and going on an incredibly set path to your next goal you've got you've got big fields and mountains and lakes and things to explore that 
and instead of random encounters, all of the uh, the monsters uh, are out wandering the the field, and so you uh, you actually can you know go up and fight any individual monster you want. A lot of them are indifferent to you. Some will hunt you down if they see you or if they hear you or things like that. And so you have to strategize about how to get around some places. Also, as a JRPG, you're never going to believe this, but you play as a group of plucky teenagers and early 20-somethings. They are on a, a mission to, uh, I guess, essentially save the the human race, very lazily named Homs, because the, the whole game takes place on... Um, there were first there was nothing and then there were two immense titans one of biological matter called the biotis and another of mechanical matter called the the mechon or mechos or some shit uh and then one day they just froze in place and you live on the biotis you your your world the the universe that exists in this world is um everyone lives on top of these ancient titans and uh the game starts with events from a year ago where, oh, the, the robot monsters are coming after us. Oh, we're going to make our last stand. Oh, humanity. Uh, and, oh, well, you know what? They do stave off the monsters, which is great, because that means indefinite peace. Uh-oh, dot, dot, dot. Or does it? Oh, the, they come back, and that's the game. And so you, you set out to figure out why these monsters have been coming after you and, and why you, young, handsome boy, have the only... <laughs> Uh, mythical laser sword that is capable of hurting them. Oh, man. You know, I started out saying this is going to be a half-hearted recommendation, but the more I talk about it, the more I realize this game is pretty fucking sweet. <laughs> um, but uh, as for the downsides, it's written for babies. Like, the story isn't bad, but everything is explained so explicitly. There's there's nothing that is left amb- ambiguous. It, you know, if there's a mystery, someone comes up and says, like, oh, we got to be careful. This thing's mysterious. Ah. And also, uh, the side quests are terrible. They're just, it's nothing but fetch quests and, and monster killing quests. And it's it's awful. And I've, because I have a, a, a weird brain, I'm not going to bother explaining right now. I've restarted this game three times from scratch. Most recently, I got about 15 hours in and then I went, nah, there's some things I do different. And I started over again. Uh, but now I've passed that point, <laughs> and um, I'm just going straight through the story, right from story point to story point, and I'm only doing side quests if I don't feel like I'm strong enough to take something down in the story, and I'm experiencing it so much more. And so if you do play this, I would recommend really just kind of like going straight through and not doing the grind. So there's my one half recommendation, Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, only last thing I'll say about that is I still have to play the original game in this loosely connected series, uh, Xenosaga, that originally came out on the PlayStation. And that's because if I understand the game correctly, you play the part of a small town martial artist who goes on an adventure to kill God. And that's pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, <laughs> and then the other thing I'm recommending is uh, I saw the first episode of Lovecraft Country, which everyone's talking about and apparently everyone loves. And real quick premise is that um, it initially takes place in um, the the south side of Chicago in the 40s, late 40s, 50s? Uh, the, the lead character, I believe his name is Atticus, he was in uh, the most recent of those world wars, and uh, he 
is the beefiest nerd. Oh, he's so muscly, and he's so into nerdy, spooky, sci-fi, and horror shit. Particularly has an affinity for Lovecraft. And he and an old friend of his, and his, his uncle, have to go on an adventure together to find Atticus's disappeared, abusive, alcoholic dad. And so that's, that's the, the very basic setup of the events that come. And there are two primary sides to the show. One deals with the real and intense fear of living as a black person in a still incredibly segregated U.S. And the other half has to deal with, you know, spooky monsters and terror and whatnot. And the only problem I had with the show, and again, it's just the first episode, is that every time the show was dealing with those racial elements, I found it incredibly compelling. I thought it was really great trying to show pretty bluntly just how hard and scary and dangerous life could be at that time. Um, it particularly focuses on the experience of trying to travel through sundown towns, which basically, for anyone who doesn't know at all, and I don't know much, apparently these are towns where if you are not out by sundown, you dead. Uh, and so it's actually his uncle, if you're black, yeah. And his uncle, uh, part of his character is he's putting together or already his running a travel guide, um, a travel service specifically for black people so they can safely travel throughout the U.S. <laughs> and I think all of that is great. I loved it. And then it gets to this kind of spooky Lovecraftian horror stuff, and I'm like, I don't know about this. <laughs> like it just, it just seemed kind of goofy. And for a show that is setting it up the whole time, it nonetheless felt out of place to me when it does come in. And so I'm going to keep watching, and I'm hoping that as the, the series goes on, those two halves meld together a bit more. But yeah, so that's it for now. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, really fun game that has some things I really don't like. And then Lovecraft Country, really incredible first episode, but I don't think quite pulls off the horror stuff at the end. Those are my recommendations. Solvay, it's you. Well, just to bounce off what you just said about Lovecraft Country, I haven't seen it, but the lead actor, Jonathan Majors... Is an amazing actor, and he was in this movie last year, uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. That was only a year ago? Yeah. Oh, wow. Sorry, I, I haven't seen it yet. I just, I've heard it's great. Sorry, go You ahead. have to. Yeah, he's the supporting actor, and it's an amazing, amazing role. It's a great movie, but that's not my recommendation. All week, I've been very stressed on what my recommendation would be. <laughs> oh, sorry. We should, have, we should have told you ours so you could see how little thought or effort really goes into it. Well, I don't know... What does it mean to be nerdy for something? So because this is something I was going to like try to drill you on earlier, and then I worried whether it would be comfortable or appropriate. So I'm glad you're just bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know. So up to two days ago, really, the only thing I've been watching is I Love Lucy. And <laughs> I was trying to figure out how I could sell that as like a nerdy thing. I think, I think to me, it is immediately nerdy. Because you're not an old lady. <laughs> like, what the hell are you doing watching I Love Lucy? Um, <laughs> Universal and timeless classic, Nick. That's what she's doing. It's All right. so good. But that's still not my recommendation. Uh, 
finally something came that I really liked and I think fits this podcast. And I'm glad no one... I think it just came out this week, so I don't know if you've talked about it. But um, it's a Netflix originally original document series. It's called High Score. It is just like the history of video games in the 80s and 90s. It's done really well. Great cinematography and the editing's amazing. It tells... I think if you've ever listened to like a podcast or looked into the history... It's going to be a lot of repeating information. But mm. I think they really dug to find stories of, like, here's this black creator that, like, made the first game console, but they scrapped it. And so he doesn't get that credit. It's a lot of smaller stories like that. And okay. they look, yeah, they look into a lot of queer stories, a lot of people of color. And it's just, it's a really well done document, uh, documentary. But I think if you, as someone who doesn't play a lot of video games, it was still, like, I can see that this is going to be Star Fox in five years and that kind of thing. So I highly recommend High Score on Netflix. Cool. All right. Three people of various nerdy proclivities. And oh, I was going to say before we forget, this isn't a direct nerd connection. But of course, without I Love Lucy, there would be no Desilu Productions, which means there would have been no Star Trek because... Her company actually bankrolled the original Star Trek, so mm-hmm. that's pretty nerdy. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna commit a crime against this this episode we're recording because you having just brought up Star Trek reminded me of something in the episode. I want to go back to maybe we'll end on this. I don't know, but when Sheldon Look, he was only on for two minutes. You gotta let the Neil deGrasse Tyson thing go. When Sheldon visited Penny in the bar to get some some advice for his his aching heart. He he talked about how he didn't he had a lose lose situation and Penny said, Oh yeah, it's just like the Kobayashi Maru. And uh Sheldon says, Why do you know that? And I don't think it ever actually got explained and I can't let it go. Why the fuck does Penny know about the Kobayashi Maru? I have one theory. And also I guess I could explain what the Kobayashi Maru is, but honestly, I feel like you'd be better at it, Kyle. The Kobayashi Maru is a trial that they make uh, Star Trek candidates or Starfleet Academy trainees going through uh, near the end of their training, um, where they are presented with a simulation in which they are trying to rescue a distressed freighter, the Kobayashi Maru, but they come under attack at the same time, and basically... The longer that they, uh, the more they try to rescue the freighter, the more ships show up to attack them, and there is theoretically no way to win the simulation. The test was originally designed to show people that some, it, just to test how people reacted when they couldn't overcome, when they were faced with the scenario that there was really no good solution to the problem. The only person to ever successfully beat the Kobayashi Maru, Captain Kirk, did so by sneaking in the night before he was supposed to take the test and hacking into the computer such that um, he could he could actually win the scenario. This is first revealed in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Okay, so with that information in mind, why does Penny know that? I, I was worried that even bringing this up fair uh, is up is kind of unfair to Penny because she does spend a lot of time around the nerds, but this stuck out, stood out to me, and I have a theory about why it might be, but I'm, I think it's pretty it's pretty harebrained, and so I want to know if this like stuck out to either of you or if you have any thoughts on it. I thought it was dumb to patronize her like she couldn't possibly know what that is. That's what I was afraid of bringing it up! Oh no! Yep. Oh, <laughs> yep. Hoisted by my own petard! <laughs> 
all right, well, I've been called the fuck out. I don't know what to, <laughs> like in the show. <laughs> like in the show, I was like, that's so stupid of them to treat her that way. <laughs> well, they treat. I mean, to be fair, every single other time there has been a nerdy reference, no matter how mainstream you might think that reference would actually be. I wish I could think of a good example, but just trust me, the show is a. It's just an elephant's graveyard of people being like, huh, it's just like on Battlestar Galactica and her being like, Battlestar what? And so there's a lot of it, it is within the context of the show. It is rather weird for her to just be like, oh, yeah, but Kirk cheated at the Kobayashi Maru. Everyone knows that. Oh, that's the part that got me. Why the specifically? I remember Kobayashi Maru. I think I was willing to accept. And then and then she's like, everyone knows he cheated. Maybe she dated William Shatner. That's possible. Okay. Or I guess Chris Pine, you know, they did mention it in the reboots. So that's probably closer to the right age. All right. 2011 was the year that the... Come out. I don't remember. I'm going to quickly look it up because that is important to my theory. 2009. So, yeah. Okay. It was out. All right. And so now, uh, going into this with the clearly established fact that I am indeed a shithead for not believing that Penny would ever know this in the first place. <laughs> Misogynist, as I always say about you. You know me. I think, I wonder if, so Penny would be so much more likely to know this because of the Star Trek reboot. You know, because it was more recent in time. And also because I remember it being incredibly pop, incredibly pop, oh my god, I'm sorry, incredibly popular. Like not just for like a, a sci-fi movie, but like like a like a real actual blockbuster. And I wondered if uh, Penny knowing this is like almost like a slight in a way. Like wasn't that nerdy, was it? Penny knows this shit. Come on. Uh, and now that that's all out of my mouth, I am going to go back and cut my own guts open. <laughs> <laughs> Be a shame. Although to be honest with you. The, the explanation that I think for why it's in the episode is uh-huh. because they originally wrote the dialogue between Sheldon and a different character. And and then they were like, wait. Then they rewrote that scene to be like, we haven't put Penny in this episode. So they put Penny in the episode. And then they were like, wait, why would Penny know that about the Kobayashi Maru? And that... like, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going ahead with it. I don't think so. I think they, as you said, like several times they've made references and she's never gotten it. Mm-hmm. I mean... Shouldn't she get one? Wouldn't it be funny if, like, Sheldon's pouring his heart out and she's like, oh, no, I totally get it. <sighs> Roll reverse. If they'd, actually, if they'd actually made it funny in the episode as just opposed to a out-of-nowhere non-sequitur snaps out. Like, if she had then go on to say, no, have I never told you about my secret fixation with the 2009 reboot of Star Trek, which I consider superior to Star Trek? Just to see the look on Sheldon's face as he has a stroke. Because, of course, to him, you know, new Trek is blast and only original Trek is. That would have, as long as we're talking about stuff that would have made for a better episode. Watching Penny, watching Sheldon slowly, like, die from lack of air as he tries to convince Penny that only the, like, original cast of Star Trek really did service to the roles. That would be pretty funny. Kyle, you had me at watch Sheldon slowly die of lack of air. (laughs) 